week. I'm so glad to have spent the month with you. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, so we've had, this is our fourth week together, and we talked about the Bible's meta-narrative, the big picture, um, as a way to bridge you from studying the Bible as a work of literature for many months, if you were in here. Um, we've looked at ways to develop habits of spiritual growth centered on Scripture. Uh, last week, we began studying how to learning how to study a passage of Scripture more in depth as a devotional practice, sort of a simple study that could get deeper and deeper if you want. Um, and then this week, because of what I noticed in here last week, which was, um, it seemed like you guys were really grabbing onto this. Um, I wanted to continue it this week because my hope um, is that after after this time in Sunday school, it will lodge in your brain just a little harder that studying scripture and letting scripture be a central part of your devotional practice is important. It can be joyful. It can be readily done. It can be simply done. It can be more complex as well. Um, so that um, it perhaps in ways that sometimes we could see scripture as unapproachable because of its depth and breadth, we can, we can see ways that we can approach it and weave it into our devotional practice more readily. So um, to do that, let's pray together. God, thank you for this last week together. Um, Thank you for these friends gathered here to study your word again, your gospel of John. Um, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here in a way that helps us to understand and joyfully read and study your word and that that joy would follow us as we establish discipline in our own lives to draw from your word daily. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you were here last week, um, we just started to look at the Gospel of John, the first set of uh, verses. And so I asked if you could... Finish looking at John, what was it, 15, 1 through, yeah, we kind of looked at, we got halfway yeah, we got to about 7 eight. or 8. So John 15, 1 through 8 um, is what we studied, and, and what we did first was we took a look at it from a big perspective, we observed with our own eyes what was in there, we asked why, and then this application step was the one I had asked you to kind of take a look at just for this set of verses during this week. And then um, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through these four steps again with the latter half of that passage. So did anybody take a look at application step four verses one through eight? Or if you didn't, we could do it now. Yes. Okay, yes. Go ahead, doctor. (laughs) What'd you come up with? That's okay. Um, no, it's okay. Um, so here in this step, we're asking, we've gone through the what, and now we're saying, so what, now what? And so last week, one of the words that we drew out, what, what verse is that in? Verse 11, if you look on your blue sheet of paper. Here, let's take a look. Which verse is the word friends in? We wanted to know why 
God calls us friends. And so you were going to look into it. So this is why we're asking more about what that word means and then what that has to do with our lives. So go ahead. So, so my comment was that I felt that the word friends, friends was less important, less significant, um, perhaps, than some of our other relationships that we might think of. And I gave the example of my wife as my friend, but it's so much more. And why, why Jesus would simply call us a friend, it seemed shallow to me. Mm-hmm. Not meaningless, but shallow. Mm-hmm. And So um, what did you do? T- tell us the steps you did to study that word. Well, the first thing I did was you use your recommendation of the Bible Hub. Mm-hmm. Biblehub.com. Yep. I used that website and uh, tried to do a word study on friend in both uh, Greek and in Hebrew. Hmm. Okay. And what did you find out? And um, things come out like uh, a friend is a person who's bond by mutual affection typically exclusive of any type of sexual relation or family relationship. And it's a companion, a bosom friend, and the closest. Um, Other words that keep getting associated with it are affection, high esteem, high personal regard. Okay. um, Someone who you love and who loves you, so it implies a relationship there. Those were kind of the mm-hmm. the main uh, things because a lot of them just repeat. But in studying where the words come from, um, most of them have an origin in the Latin um, amicus or amo, which is either uh, friend or love. And in the Greek, um, again, as the word goes back, Theophilus was an example, but uh, philio is the type of love that comes out of friendship. Okay, so philio is P-H-I-L-I-O. Um, so the root of, or another uh, derivative of that is philos, P-H-I-L-O-S. Does anybody, does that ring a bell with what that means? It's a type of love. What kind of love? As a brotherly love. Like Philadelphia. Actually, I lived in Philadelphia. I used to call it the city of brotherly shove because that's what it was like living there. But it's supposed to be the city of brotherly love. So philos, philo, this is what friend means. Okay? All right. So um, hold on to that. And when we get to the application step for this section today, let's draw out why and what, what would that mean for us. All right, so here's basically what happened is that he went to, you don't have to use a website like this, you don't have to go this deeply into a scripture verse or word, but if you're really interested, you can know Greek and Hebrew. You just went to this website, you can pull it up on your phone too, and where the arrow is, you can type in the verse, and then what happens, um, so he would have typed in, we would have typed in uh, John 15, 14, and then... Um, what will happen is that something like this will pop up. This is for 15 verse, 12, verse 2, but um, the verse will show up in its original language, and in the New Testament that would be Greek. And you don't have to worry about trying to interpret it or anything. All you would have to do is click on the word friend, 
The Greek word for that, which you would see, would be uh, philoi or philos. And then it would, or you could hover over it, and it would tell you what it means. So this is how you can easily know what the original language of a word is. Very simple, if you have access to the internet. If you don't have access to the internet, you can go to a seminary or maybe in the library, something called an interlude. Just try to do it this way, or just have your friend do it. Um, um, this is why when I went through seminary, I didn't have to buy a seminary library. I got through it because they have online resources now. So that's what we did. is is a very simple step, and if you need help with that step again, I'll, I'll give you my contact information. I'll be glad to help you. Pastors here should be able to help you. But this is how this Greek becomes a simple study, a simple Bible study that you can do. Thanks for letting us know that. Any other application ideas for that first chunk of verses? So we would be asking, so what? What do we do with this text? What does this mean for us as servants of God? Uh, I forgot to put it in white text instead of black. Thanks for pointing out my mistake, Jerry. Okay. Oh, that was Lexio. All right, well, let me try to prompt you. I'm trying to get us back to uh, where we were today. Sorry about this. I have a lot of slides here. All right, so there, I put it in white. Is that better? Okay. Thank you. All right, so if we looked again at verses 1 through 9 or 8, um, if you were here last week, what are some of the things we drew out of that? We observed who, what, when, where. We saw some repetition of words. We saw some if-then statements. What were those? Remain and abide. Okay, the words remain and abide in those verses show up many times. In fact, I, I'm a visual person, so I just kind of map it in orange. That's, that's all the times that it showed up. So if you start to map things out, you can see how many times a certain word shows up and why it would have meaning then. What else did we find? The I am statements. Okay. Could you give us an example of a verse for an I am statement? Well, the very first is I am the true vine. Okay. So Jesus is saying I am the true vine. And we did talk about the vine and the branch concept. Mm -hmm. We talked about the metaphor. Come on in. The metaphor of gardening. Which is your passion. My favorite metaphor. Mm -hmm. We talked about, um, I did that little Greek study of the word prune. Um, And let's see, it was in verses 2 and 3. We actually found out that the word prune means to clean. So pruning um, is to cut away something dead so that something else can flourish. In this verse, it actually means to clean. So we are pruned so that we can be cleansed. All right? Deadhead, that's right. You are deadheaded as a disciple of God. (laughs) Jerry and I could write a book about gardening metaphors and discipleship. Let's do that. That's your retirement project. We did have some if-then statements. Did anybody mark those? Look in that first chunk of verses. 
if something happens, then something else will happen? If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Okay. Uh, if you do not remain in me, then you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. All right. All right. So those are some of the things that we drew out. We observed them with our own eyes. And I always say with this observation step, you always use your own eyes first before you get out of commentary, before you look at cheater notes in a study Bible. Use your own eyes first to see what the Spirit would bring to you before we then go to the application step. And so if we've seen the idea of we should abide and remain, um, if we do something, if we remain, then we will flourish what kind of application? What are the so what, now what questions we can bring about from this passage? What does it have to do with our daily living? Probably means you should abide and try to remain in Jesus, right? To accept the change of pruning. Okay. Oh, to accept the change of being pruned or cleaned or deadheaded. Wow. Okay. To see it has a purpose. To understand, to trust the true vine has a purpose for that. Any other application type ideas? It's not about us. Verse 8. Very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned last week, if you look at verses 7 to 8, it says, if you remain in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sometimes we can think, well, God is sort of like Santa Claus. If we ask and put this on our wish list, then we'll just get it. That's not, that's not who God is. He doesn't, he's not there to serve our purposes. He's there to cleanse us, to prune us, so that we might receive something to the Father's glory. So it's not about us. It's not about you. It is about the true vine and showing glory to the Father. Okay? So that's an example of some application steps that you could bring out. And we're going to go through the process for this next chunk of verses today, so that if you weren't here last week... We could, we'll, we'll catch you up to speed. But I wanted to say, um, I was talking to the doctor last week, and I wanted to say a quick word about a danger behind reading the Bible devotionally, okay? We can too quickly go to this application step. So when you're doing a simple study of Scripture, you can too quickly jump right to the bottom. We may read a verse or a passage, and we might too quickly ask, how does this apply to me? What is God trying to tell me? But here's the thing. As we look at scripture, we need to remember that the Bible is God's story. So reading his word. Yeah. No, those are from last week, but you can have fresh copies if you want. Reading the Bible is God's story. It's understanding first who he is and then who we are in light of who he is. So the Bible isn't primarily about us. This is God's story, God's meta-narrative to which he graciously allows us to play a part. And we understand who he is, and when we know who God is, our identity as Christ followers becomes into, comes into more focus. 
because okay? we are following him. We understand him, we understand ourselves. So for an, ex- for an example, and this is just a very small example, but picture in your mind someone right now who's really important in your life and means the world to you. So think of somebody in your life right now. Twelve grandchildren. Okay, who else? Any of them. Any of them. Who else is important? Same, grandchildren, grandchildren, okay. A spouse, a best friend, all right. So, now think about your relationship with them. I imagine it involves some give and take, some learning about each other, and it would not be wise or healthy to relate to that person only by asking, hey, what can you do for me? Or how do your affections or your, your um, actions or your words affect me? And that would be narcissism. That would be self-focused. You want to be, instead, more fully understanding of them as a person as well as understanding your role in that relationship. So when we have relationships with people, it's reciprocal. It's back and forth. All right? So in, that's just a small glimpse of this bigger idea of in order to understand the God with whom we want to grow our relationship, we take time to learn about him. We approach with reverence his word to us, which is our, our holy scripture. So the Bible is a key to understanding the God of the universe who created and sustains everything, but also who loves each of us individually and unconditionally. So looking at a verse or a passage of scripture and immediately asking, what can this do for me, is sidestepping the process of more deeply knowing and loving the God who inspired these scriptures. So that's why I'm encouraging and focusing on us taking time to learn the steps to understand what's in a passage before we ask that application question, what does it mean for me personally? So that's why we survey. The first step is survey. We look at the big picture and context of a passage. Then we observe what's in it, and we interpret why those elements are part of it. And then only then do we move to applying what we have seen in our lives. So all of that, that entire process, is part of what it means to approach the Bible devotionally. Now, I I don't want you to think that we talked the first week about um, devotional booklets like the Upper Room or looking at the Lectionary or other resources. Those pre-made devotionals, those aren't wrong. (laughs) It's fine to use those. But what I want to suggest is that if that they involve someone else's opinion of that scripture passage. Okay, you're, you're letting someone, you're putting your trust in someone to interpret that passage for you and give you a devotion for the day. Understanding that that's what you're doing is important. I think that's fine to use those devotionals, but that can't be the only nourishment that you're getting from the scripture. God made this, God um, inspired these words for you to read. So if you use devotions, that's fine, but also mix in this personal consumption of God's word, okay? And that's why we're learning how to do this simple study together. So you can do this. You started it last week. So we're going to do this today again. We're going to look at verses 9 through 17. And if we could start with someone reading that, you have to read it into the microphone. John chapter 15, 9 through 17. We're going to go through the steps of a simple Bible study together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no end than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Thank you. Something's going funny with my, uh, I don't know, understand what, what's happening. We're, gonna, we're just going to avoid what's up on the screen. <laughs> I'm not sure why. It's sort of like resetting. What I click on. Okay, so we're, we're just going to leave it on that. I'll talk us through it. All right. I know, it's always rich. All right. So thank you for reading. Here's what I'd love us, for us to do is remember the survey part, okay? So the survey, that S in the S-O-I-A, means to look at the passage with a broad view for main themes we remember the author and the occasion and so forth. So we talked about this last week. What is the occasion of this passage of Scripture? They're at the Last Supper. Okay. Who's they? Jesus and the disciples. Okay. So this is a long passage. I think it's six chapters that happen in the Gospel of John that cover one night the last night that Jesus was alive, he was hanging out with his disciples. They, he washed their feet. They shared the Last Supper. And he was saying to them, I am going to die and then be raised up in three days, which they didn't understand. Um, but I, And here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I need you to know before I go. Like This was the wisdom he wanted them to know. So within that context, we get these verses, right? So if we went to the next step, observation, that's what we're going to work on together now. So if you look at this pink sheet of paper, the observation step, remember we were looking at this chunk of verses and we're asking who, what, where, when, and we're holding off on the why for now. All right, so you might look again, is there repetition of words? Are there more of those if-then statements? Are there contrasts? So take a look at those verses and see what you can find and feel free to talk at your tables or we could just talk out loud together when you find things. Remain in my love seems to be if not in direct words at least a lot of the concept. Okay, what verse is that? Well, it starts out as um, in nine. All right. Um, I saw it again in ten. The concept of loving each other starts in twelve. And it ends in seventeen. 
Okay, so you're seeing the word love repeated. Are you guys seeing the word love repeated through those verses? Either to remain in his love or to express his love to okay. others. I would encourage you, let's take a moment now, if you're using your paper, or feel free just to read it, to circle every word of love that you see 9 through 17 so that you can see the repetition. Just like we circled that remain in the first chunk of verses. So it seems like you pointed out that in verses 9 and 10, we have remnants of that word remain that we saw repeated in the verses above. And then it starts to get into the repetition of love. So that abiding and remaining seems to lead to loving others. So these are kind of bridge verses. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right? Let's look at it. Let's keep observing. What else do we see in these verses, what stands out to you? First, in verse 9, he said, the Father, and then he changed it to my Father. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. There's also a, a plea for obedience in the fact that, that there are commands. Okay, what verse do you see that in? Well, 10, 12, 14. All right. So if we slip, 17. Sure, if we slipped into a little bit of interpretation, we see that commands lead to love. Commands lead to loving others. It's, it's um, a response to God's command is loving other people, not bondage, but love. Yeah? Okay. So you're loved by grace by whom? Okay. And the response to that grace is what? How are we to live it out? There you go. So the grace that um, you have been shown by an unconditional love from the God who loves you, the way you respond, one way you respond is loving him in return and loving your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. Does that make sense? Is it you said it bothers you? Yeah. You don't like being told what to do. No, nobody does. Okay, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something interesting. Then, um, 
And if you look at verse 17, and this might be true for the other statements of command, but if you look at verse 17, it says, this is my command, love each other. In a different version, the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version, this is more invitational than authoritative. Okay, so this idea of this is my command, love each other, it's more of a, I invite you to love each other. So that's why in this observation step, I mentioned consider checking different translations so that, Jerry, when we have the sense of we're just being authoritatively commanded to love one another, actually a different translation would say, Jesus is inviting you to do that. Does that make sense? Do you know what? But nobody listens, so it doesn't matter. If we start with my kids, I mean, they put me in my place. Linda, isn't there um, multiple words in Greek for the word love? Is love in this every single time the same? Yay! Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, Yes, there are multiple words for love. Do we remember what they are? I think we talked a couple weeks ago. Agape, unconditional love, would you say? Eros, which is like intimate sexual love, and then philos, which we just talked about, which is brotherly love, companion love. So if you were to do that Bible hub thing and type in the word love, which I did, I did this week, every instance of the word love is, hold on, I wrote this down because I knew somebody was going to ask. It's all agape. Every single instance, it's all agape. It, there are three different derivatives or different types of uh, the word agape, but it all means agape. So it's unconditional love, sacrificial love is what Jesus is calling us to do for one another. Thanks for, that's a great observation question. Uh, how about some if-then statements or uh, causation, which means, hey, if this happens, something else will be caused or something else will occur. You see any of those? Verse 10. All right, verse 10. If you keep these commands, if you remain in, if you abide in my agape love, Jesus says, then... Your joy may be complete. All right? So only remaining in the true vine is true joy received in our life. That's great. Any other causation statements or if-then statements? 15, what do you see there? Okay. So... You're no longer a servant. So we heard what the word friend means. Somebody who's, in verse 14, someone who's dearly loved, a close, intimate affection. If we were to type in the word servant, verse 15, to the Bible hub, we would see this word doulos in Greek, and it means someone who is enslaved or belongs to somebody else with no rights of their own. Hold on, we'll interpret that in a second. We'll ask why. Any other observations? How 
How about what do you observe in verses 16 and 17? What do you think it means in verse 16 to bear fruit? What, what would that generally mean? Acts of, of love. Okay. So some sort of overflow. Some it sort of... Be reflective of the vine that the branch came from. The fruit would come from the oh, vine. Oh, okay. So it would be a mirror of so there's a process happening in this passage. Okay. Starting with the true vine in verse 1 and the pruning that happens in verse 2 leads to this bearing fruit in verse 16, which is what we hope to have, have happen in our gardens. We prune away, we deadhead in order to have a plant thrive, not just thrive, but flourish. Right? That idea, bear fruit, um, in the Greek, it means to bear, bring about, or make publicly known. Make publicly known. And then there's a word in verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Appointed. Appointed means to fix or put in place or establish. So we could look at that verse another way and said. Jesus says, I chose you and put you in place so that you might go and publicly bear fruit, to bring about fruit wherever you go, to cultivate fruit. Okay? <clears throat> All right, let's go to that interpretation step, which is on this pink piece of paper, and this is where we ask why. We've observed, um, and I, I hope that you see it, it was pretty readily done. You, when I asked you to observe, you pretty quickly pulled things out. Um, and so now we're going to ask why. So what kind of why questions do you want to ask of this passage? How about, so, go ahead. So, the wise, the wise that come out of that last portion for me is then why doesn't God say I choose everyone? Why does He select for people to do good? That would imply that He leaves some people that won't be in His love or do good. Like that accounts for evil. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mm -hmm. there's a conundrum there for me and. Mm -hmm. How does that affect um, my faith? If my faith is active in believing, but God chooses, does that interfere with me confessing God if mm -hmm. he chooses? Mm -hmm. That means he has to unchoose somebody or not choose somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, it, it, well, a, here's what I would say with those questions, Dan. I think those questions are good, but make sure you're rooting those questions in the context of the passage. So who was Jesus talking to in that moment? 
So primarily he was talking to the disciples. But aren't we all disciples? We are. <laughs> but, but so um, I, what I hear in your questions, they're good questions. You're tending to get to that predestination question, which that's a big question. I would say that that's not a question we can necessarily derive from this passage. You might get there, but in the, um, there's a saying that says a, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. So if we take a text and we don't remember to keep it in context, it's a chance for us to possibly see something in the passage that may not be there. And so, yeah, so I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying those are good questions. They may not derive necessarily from this passage. They could, but yeah. Okay. Not excluding anyone. Okay. I get to kill that. How can you say that nobody's excluded from that? Because he says, love each other. That's everybody. We're supposed to not exclude anybody. We're supposed to love each other regardless of who they are. And he says, as I have done that, as I have loved you. So in my mind, that does not exclude anyone from us or from him. Hmm? What'd you say? Yeah, Judas also is in that, yeah. Okay, so um, if we were to, I'm not sure how to word this, but if we were to look back at verse 16, you do not choose me, but I chose you. He was in that context talking about the disciples, but in a broader context, he was talking about the people who are remaining in him, who are being pruned by him, who are receiving joy through that process. So do you feel that that is, could be exclusionary in that context? He's inviting people to abide, to remain, to love, to find joy in him. Right, he has foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I'm included in that. I think we all are. Yeah, but you mean in a broader way, their lifetime. Mm-hmm. If you take it out of the context that this is to the disciples, and you look at verse 16, you did not choose me. I think of the people who have, okay, so it's the born-again type of um, situation where people make a choice to um, choose Jesus. And so at first I thought, if if I look at it that way, but they did choose him. They didn't know him before, um, but so they chose, so that kind of offended me, Mm -hmm. like, you're, he's saying, you didn't choose me, but it was the disciples he's talking to. So I guess I had to back down my <laughs> anger okay, yeah. and say he's, he wasn't talking to me at that particular point. Okay. So. So, yeah, there was some very specific choosing. Drop your nets and follow me. Follow me is what he kept saying, yeah. 
What other questions of why do you want to ask from this passage? About whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Okay. What, that, that leads, you know, you can misinterpret that very easily. Sure you could. People could use that in a serpent somewhere and, uh, you know, maybe go down the wrong mm-hmm. interpretation. Sure. There's, um, I mean, no offense by this, but there's the prosperity gospel, which means um, I could become healthy and wealthy if I just ask for it in the right way, yeah. or if I just do the right things in my life, and that's, that could be a misinterpretation of that passage. <laughs> All right. So what do you ask for? What would you ask for that would sure. be real? Love? I wonder, if, I wonder if the question is more, how do you ask for it, and why do you ask for it? And if you look at the verses around that, what, do, what would you say? Okay, so you're asking in love, you're asking... Um, yeah, or, well, I'm not going to ask for a big car or a boat or a new set of clubs or anything like that. Sure. Good label for clubs. You can buy a game. You know? So if, it, if we look at verse 7, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. What precedes that? If... What? Verse which one? Seven. Way up at the top. What verse were you referring to? I'm sorry. Uh, down at 16. Oh, okay, so let's look at 16. Whatever and you ask in my name, the Father will give you, if what? Yeah. What, what do you see? What, what do I think? No, what are in the verses around it? What do you think? Why can we ask whatever we want? He'll give you fruit. Maybe. Yeah, but why, why can we do that? Why does Jesus promise that he'll give us what we want? If we do what, then he promises that. Love each other. Right, if we love each other. If we give our lives for each other. Okay. That's sacrificial agape love. We'll be friends. If we live into being friends of Jesus. If we remain in his love, if we abide. Isn't um, the bearing fruit, when you talked about publicly, publicly bringing it about, mm-hmm. isn't that sharing Jesus with others? Isn't that really the E word that no one wants to ever say? Evangelizing? Evangelize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. In, in, in this context, it would be Jesus is about to send the disciples. Mm-hmm. Go. Scatter. And so, yeah, that's what he's saying. That's what we're called to, too. But we're not the application step, sorry. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, you're right. Uh, let's do one other observation or interpretation quickly and talk about verse 14 and 15, the difference, the contrast between you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. What's the contrast between friends and servants there? What questions do we want to ask? Well, he made a point at the Last Supper to wash their feet. So in a sense, he was their servant. That's it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And if the verse says we are no longer servants because... A servant does not know his master's business. If, if he's saying to his disciples, you are no longer servants, you are my friends, 
what is the difference? What change? Right. God, what? God's God. business. Okay. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, what else? Their status has changed from servant to friend, as has ours. What, what else does that mean? Yes. Sure. If they remain in him, if they abide in him, if they love one another, yes. Uh, they're going to do what he wants out of love, out of respect, rather than, well, maybe duty, exactly. Oh, okay. Or being ordered. Being commanded. They're doing it out of love instead of out of feeling of I'm being authoritatively commanded, back to what you had said before. So they've been promoted to co-worker as opposed to being a servant. Yeah, you could say it that way. Co-laborer. Co-laborer. There is this. Go ahead, sir. Isn't Julius as much slave as servant? Dulas does mean, and uh, a servant does mean enslaved, belonging to another without rights that of your own. Okay. So what would what would you say it, it means in this passage? Pardon. What would you feel like that means in this passage then? I wouldn't know. You don't know. Okay. Yeah. Just pointing it out. Good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So this particular instance, verse 15, the word servant, doulos, means that this servant would have no rights of their own. They belong to someone else. So it's a negative connotation in this way, whereas we might call one another, we might want to serve one another. This instance of servant is a negative connotation. All right, we have 10 minutes left, so I want to move us to the application step. Okay, this is where we ask and we try to answer the so what. What do we do with this text? As we serve God and relate to our neighbors, what do we do with it? So, what do you think? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this friendship with the word ha- has to do with uh, remaining in it and abiding in it and, and relating to it as a two-way street, taking time. That's great. We all have phases. Sure. Yes, that's great. I'm so glad that, yes, that's great. Yes. Repeat it so 
Okay. Would you mind repeating it into the microphone for posterity? So for me, it calls me to take more seriously study of the scripture so I really know who Jesus is. I'm really his friend, and I know what he would want me to do. That's great. What else? One of the definitions of, that I, was, I left out, I think, was um, it's someone you trust. And so by studying and understanding, we can trust our understanding and our faith because the Holy Spirit instills God's love in us to understand. Mm -hmm. That's a trusting, that's a part of faith. Yes, you would need to have trust as part of your faith. As someone, if in the Gospel of John, we talked about there are a lot of I am statements. Jesus is saying, I am this. That means no other person or entity is this. You need to have trust in the I am. If you're going to trust Jesus, that means to the exclusion of everything and everyone else. So yes, you would want to get to know that true vine you would want to know him as your friend. That, by default, means that your trust and faith in Jesus can be like no other trust and faith in anything or anyone else. Yeah. Which is something to reflect on. Do I trust anything else as much as God or more than Jesus? Do I rely on anything more than Jesus? That's called idolatry, which is another sermon in itself. What other, any other applications we can get from this? It gives us a, a standard to evaluate our own behavior and others really too as far as are we really loving in our actions, Okay. things like that. Okay, a standard not meant to make you feel poorly about yourself, not meant to make you, make you feel guilty but a standard of, okay, if I'm going to love other people, I have to stay connected to Jesus because he informs me how to love other people best. Yeah, yeah I, I think what, what might bother me is that am I a branch that's going to be thrown away and fire and burn? Is okay. this real? Uh, how does that, uh, that, that kind of ouches? Uh oh. <laughs> there are other scriptures that do say, do give a more apocryphal look at um, if a branch is, is, you know, the wicked and the disobedient are like branches that wither and die and are, are burned in the fire. So there is that sense in other scriptures that disobedience, disconnection, not remaining in the true vine can lead to wickedness, which can, be, can lead to being cast aside. So it is. It's a heavy matter. But to, to not be that, what does it say? To be a branch that bears fruit, what do you need to do? Uh, no branch can bear fruit by itself. Okay. It must remain in the vine. There you go. And I'm not saying that's easy, but that's the answer. Remaining with Jesus is the answer. Even if we do it just in stuttering steps, it's all right. Remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
there you go. Which, apart from me, you can do nothing. That in itself is, is the, a devotional message. There could be all kinds. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Does anybody else in this room think that they've got power to control things in their lives or bring good things about and think that I can be in charge? Yes. Okay? So this is putting us in our place and saying, you are a branch. Jesus is the true vine. Yield. Surrender. All right. So we're going we're gonna to stop our application there. But I wanted to point out something that I, I observed today. So you did this with your own eyes. Um, we had different resources on the table last week. I told you about commentaries and study Bibles, which I really would encourage you to get a study Bible with the notes at the bottom to help you. But you did this with your own eyes today, which means you can do it again on your own or with someone else quite easily. And then you could take other steps, like if you wanted to go online and figure out the Greek word, you could do that. Um, So I want to encourage you, look what you just did, and that I hope that this will help you to understand how Scripture can feed you and guide you and give you direction that you need, direction for your life. Um, Let's see. Let me see, as we wrap up, Let me just see if there's anything else I wanted to mention to you. The two questions on the slide that's disappeared (laughs) that I wanted to leave you with today. What is your next step to reading the Bible devotionally? So something for you to consider this week. Another of my hopes for you is that you'll take what we've learned and plug it into your life in a regular way. What is a new way, just even one new way, that I can read the Bible devotionally in a regular way? And the second question is, who can hold you accountable to do this regularly? Because if you're anything like me, if I take on a new discipline or a new practice, if someone's not asking me about it, that can kind of go to the wayside pretty easily. But if I have somebody checking with me, just comparing notes, saying, hey, are you still doing that? That accountability is helpful. Accountability is scriptural. So what is your next step to reading the Bible devotionally and who can hold you accountable to do this regularly is what I hope you'll think about. Now I'd love to say, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, let me see, the, where you plug in for the Greek word? I'll see if I can find it. Well, while Linda's putting that up, just a couple housekeeping items. Uh, number one, I have to say that I've tried for several years to get Linda to teach with it for us, to share with us. Somehow I knew she was going to do a bang-up job, and uh, I just want to thank her for, oh, yeah. for, the oppor- for the opportunity to study with her and uh, look forward to inviting her back again in the future. Yeah. Um, this is the last, this is the last uh, day, and I was hoping Michael would be here. Um, this is the last day for Westminster and this year's topic on the Bible. I wanted to... Uh, and Rich, I hope you'll keep this on the podcast. I wanted to let everybody know that we've already started working on next year. And a, a brief concept is everyone's a theologian. And what, we, what we're going to do is pick out theological topics like, for example, what is sin? What is? What is? And some of the theological concepts. We may even throw in a little bit about uh, what is Presbyterian theology. So uh, Michael and I are working on that with some others. Maybe Linda will want to get involved. We're going to have a breakfast meeting here soon uh, just to kind of outline next year. And it'll be, 
instead of long topics, it'll, it'll probably be one, two, three, four-week topics on theological concepts like that. Um, and I do want to make a comment. Linda's mentioned several times that we have uh, study Bibles available for this group, and I want to make it a personal mission to have those for you next year when you come back. If anyone would like to contribute to that in honor of her teaching, I'd be willing to accept any uh, gifts towards that. And I'm going to work with the church also and see if we can't uh, uh, accomplish that. Uh, one last thing, and then I'm going to sit down. There is possibly going to be a summer Westminster class, possibly, and it will be a continuation of the first two weeks that Michael did on Revelation. So watch the um, uh, CPC uh, blurbs. You get an email. Um, it may come out that there will be a Westminster summer school. got your youth um, group having uh, oh. okay. <coughs> you've got your youth going through we don't necessarily say it that way in the Presbyterian Church but I've always been an advocate of adults having catechism because when you're an adult it doesn't necessarily mean you know what sin is you know what holiness is like that doesn't automatically come in just because you've learned it once it doesn't remember doesn't mean you remember it so I think that those are really helpful to have an ongoing uh, understanding of theology and an, uh, an understanding of Presbyterian belief uh, as well since this is the church you go to I study by and I was talking to, I was talking to him about that I <clears throat> my personal recommendation is the NIV New International Version Study Bible, because I believe it's the most accessible in general. I understand that you have a different, we have a different uh, version in the pews. So if you were to want to have a study Bible that, what's the version? NRSV, NRSV New Revised Standard Version, you know, that's up to you. But I, I personally think NIV is great. Uh, if you had other uh, professors from Malone University here, they would have their own favorites, but... Yeah. All right, let me just say a prayer of blessing over you, and then you can head out. Um, Father, we thank you because you uh, love us so much that you inspired this word um, so that we can learn more about you and who we are based on who you are. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit that you promised dwells within us, that you can um, draw our hearts in, draw our minds in, so that we can um, live and learn and try to be faithful friends of you as we go and bear fruit. Um, We thank you for the times that are difficult in our lives, that you promise that if we just do our best to remain in you, that our joy can be complete. Um, And so that you are the one that you're initiating that relationship with us. We also thank you for the times where we feel strengthened by you, that if we remain in you, we can then show your love to others. Um, but it all dwells on who you are, Lord. And so I ask, uh, say a prayer of blessing over my friends here, that Holy Spirit, you would, you would draw them close to you. You would place a desire in their hearts to want to know you more um, through the Holy Scriptures, um, that there would be a longing that isn't just from them, that they would want to go to your word, they want to draw 
life from your word and that through that then they can go and love their neighbors in a more f- complete and flourishing way that that comes from you spirit the transformation comes from you and i ask today that you would make that come about in their lives we pray in the name of the father and son and holy spirit amen <laughs>